Blog Talk Radio.
Tonight, family, I don't want to uh, uh, tease you any further. Tonight, we have, again, seven audio clips of uh, Dr. Uh, Laura, and she's going to be invention of white people, meaning white people as far as the nation, white people as far as this new concept of a people based upon skin color. This show is to destroy the concept of white supremacy and to bring us together as humanity. This show is about love tonight. This show is about unity tonight. This show is about erasing racism tonight. This problem has plagued this country for many, many years. Many, many years, in every tiny aspect of life, we see it, this ugly giant that is hardly ever dealt with, and uh, this this powerful giant, I might add, might be the biggest problem in America, and it's dividing us on all fronts and all areas, all professions, and tonight, we're going to take a serious stab at it by way of this doctor, and this doctor is very educated and she's going to come on and talk about some things that some of you have never heard. Many of you may have heard. She's going to be definitely factual, talking about laws that went into effect, talking about American history, history that some of you know, again, some of you don't know. But the most important thing she is going to attempt to do tonight, and uh, she's going to be interviewed not by me but by another gentleman. Again, this is seven audio clips. We're going to play a clip, talk about it, take calls. Play a clip, talk about it, take calls play a clip, talk about it, take calls. We'll do this till the we've played all seven clips tonight. But this wonderful doctor, bless her heart, may God bless her for her efforts in this, is going to take this topic to a whole nother level. And I I would I would even go on to say that this doctor is uh, one of those trailblazers. Now, while this information is out there, there's not, not a whole lot of people that will talk about this so boldly as she do. So I uh, gonna take a little short break here and allow more people to come. We already got quite a few people on the phone lines already. I haven't checked the chat room yet. I need to, I need to because sometimes you, uh, when we do these private shows, we get people in, in the house that's chatting. So I'll open the chat room. The chat room is now open. And again, we got the phone lines full of people, and uh, we'll just take your calls uh, or your questions if you if you like after the first clip, or if you want to ask a question now, that's fine too. But I just wanted to just. Uh, Lay a little foundation here, and then we're going to take a break, and uh, I'll just um, allow more people to come because I want to. I want even more people to come that's on the line right now, even though we got nice little house full. Okay, but tonight, folks, again, tonight is uh, this doctor, and uh, I found her uh, on the internet. Uh, like I found a lot of truth. There's a lot of things can be found on the internet. Of course, you can't believe everything, but when you start getting university. Uh, doctors, uh, especially not one, not two, not ten, not hundred, but probably thousands of them putting this kind of information out there, which is still not enough, um, is something to see. Uh, and I shouldn't say thousands, it's more like hundreds, to be honest with you. But uh, I found a lot of videos talking about this same thing, the invention of the white race. And when I say the white race, I'm not just talking about what's well, just not a put down on white people because it's the same subject is talking about the invention of the black race because there's no such thing as a color, a race based on color. Again, tonight's show is going to show in details how it's foolish, how it's unscriptural, uh, how it's undocumented. It's just it's just against all logic of race based upon color. So why do we have it? We have it to divide us. Why do we need division? So we will not come together as 
people to fight those in power. You'll hear tonight that the whole concept of race was created, created, us, us meaning so-called white people, so-called black people, divided so we will not come together as a united front to take this country, to, to, to excel in this country, to hold those in power accountable. They created this around 1686, some people say 1687. Around this time, they came out with a law talking about uh, promoting white privilege and getting white people to sign on to be this new group to separate themselves and that there was white privilege involved and they'll be able to be treated better. In other words, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, uh, they was courting whites into this new elite group for white privilege. Folks, it's the most destructive, evil thing you have ever heard. But yet it happened in 1686, 87, some people say. But anyway, the invention, the invention of the white race. And that, again, it's the invention of the black race at the same time because when they invented the white race, they also invented another box called the black race. Until then, people were not associated by color. They was not associated by color. Again, tonight might make some feel uncomfortable, but they shouldn't because there's a lot of love tonight. I'm, I'm promoting love. That's the whole purpose of this show. This is my gift to you. Uh, again, we got family members listening. And if you're tuning in as a family member, I know I've been talking about race a lot. But that's my gift. That's my gift right now to to my world, to my people, to my family, to my friends, uh, to Blog Talk Radio. This is my gift uh, as far as what my contribution is to society for the ills that we see every day that's plaguing our homes, our businesses, our churches. This is one man's contribution to the problem, the giant, the unmatched the unchallenged giant of white supremacy slash black inferiority, or another word we use more popular, racism. Again, this is my contribution to this giant that stands unchallenged, unchallenged, and really unmatched, the giant of white supremacy slash black inferiority. Another word we use is racism. The concept, the belief system, the teachings that whites is superior or that blacks is inferior. It's the same coin, folks. It's just one side of the coin says whites are superior. The same doctrine that says that says blacks are inferior. You can't have whites being superior if blacks are going to be superior, too. You don't make no sense to say that. So it's white supremacy, black inferiority. That's the, that's the system that has broke down our planet. That is the system that has brainwashed millions. That is the system that's creating doctors in the churches that black skin was cursing, all this stuff. If you think you're going to hear a, a show tonight and you're getting already a sour taste in your mouth that you're going to hear a typical show bashing white people, not going to happen tonight. Tonight, this is a white lady. This actually is a white lady. Not that that makes it right, but I've learned... When something is true, you can prove it more than one way. We don't have to keep bringing on black authors, black authors, black philosophers, black scientists, black ministers. We can also, if it's true, prove it with various ethnic groups, and that's what we're doing tonight, just hearing from a little different side, a little different angle from what we call a Caucasian or a white lady, and she is has a heart of gold, and her goal is the same as mine, as well as the person she's being interviewed by, our goal is to eradicate racism from off this planet. And while I don't think we'll be successful, 
we can definitely put a big dent in it, and that's what is going to happen tonight. I ask if you family and friends to give it a chance. Listen, be patient. I know y'all are tired of hearing about race. I know you are tired of hearing about race. Again, be patient. Sit back. Get your thinking caps out. Be prayerful. And listen to this. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I was so much impressed by this interview. And, and I said to myself, I have got to get people listening. I've got to get my family. I've got to bless my family and friends with understanding with this revelation. Again, this is not a time to be putting down. Um, <laughs> this is not a time to be putting down white people. It's just not, folks. This is a time to be coming together as a people, as a nation. And uh, we're just doing just that. I love every single one of y'all, as I have said before, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. In everything I do, I try to promote love, and that's what this show is tonight. But, folks, what y'all are about to hear in these next seven clips is going to blow your mind. Some, you're going you're gonna to find yourself staring at this computer and saying, is that true? But all of this is documented. It's the one reason I picked her. She's so documented. A lot of people are saying what she's saying, but not everybody's as documented as as the doctor is. So we'll take a little short break. We'll take a little short break, and we'll be right back. Do you dance? 
again, I want to welcome everyone to another episode of Blog Talk Radio. This is a special show, not our family show as usual. This is a special show. This show is PG rated. Maybe R rated. We don't know who's calling yet. But uh, so far, we, uh, we'll just say PG rated. Let me talk about some very serious issues. Very serious issues. And uh, I got seven clips coming at y'all. Seven audio clips. And uh, I don't think that y'all have heard this before. Many of you I know have not heard it. It is going to blow you away um, in a good way, hopefully. I'm not trying to hype up no show. I'm just trying to let you know that you got some very important information coming your way. You might want to get your pens out, get your notes out, because uh, these people are firing away at some very important things. and It'll, it'll go by you so fast, and you're going to wish you had a pen. So I'm very serious when I say get a pen out. Get a pen out, get a pen out, all right? But, again, um, tonight's show is to address a, a giant, uh, something that affects every tiny aspect of life, uh, of our life. It's, it's, it's something that we all encounter, I mean, every single day in every single area of life. Um, <laughs> so, here's a lady, folks. And she's going to be interviewed by the one and only the Philip Michael Show. Uh, this is the Philip Michael Show. It's actually interviewing the doctor, Dr. Jacqueline. And uh, so, again, this is seven audio clips I'm going to play of Dr. Uh, well, excuse me, of Philip Matthews interviewing this Dr. Jacqueline. And uh, Dr. Jacqueline... Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about her, because many of you may not actually know who she is, okay? But Dr. Jacqueline uh, has a serious history. Uh, she used to be a police officer, even. Uh, but anyway, it's called Birth of a Nation is the name of this uh, presentation, Birth of a Nation. And uh, she also has a book, a fascinating book on race in America that begins with the exploration of the movement in the time when white people as a separate and distinct group of humanity were invented through legislation and the enhancement of laws. One more time, let me come at you with that. Again, she wrote a book called Birth of a Nation. This is a fascinating book on race in America that begins with the with an exploration of the moment in time when white people as a separate and distinct group of humanity was invented were invented through legislative and in the enactment of laws. Can you believe that? Wow. The book provides a thorough examination of the underlying reason as well as the ways in which white people were created. It also explains how the creation of this distinction divided laborers and ultimately served the interests of the elite. And uh, of course, all this happened around 1686, like I said earlier. And uh, so, y'all got to get this book. Uh, that's another thing I want to push is the book, her book, The Birth of a Nation. I'm serious. I know some people, oh, it's about money. No, it's not about money. It's about education. It's, this is a serious book, and it'll arm you with the tools you need to help destroy the concept of, of race based on color, not just in your mind, but in friends and family you run across, okay? The book goes on to, to examine how foundationally, Foundational laws and policies in the United States were used to institutionalize the practice of white people holding positions of power. 
Finally, the book demonstrates how the social construction and legal enhancement of white people has ultimately compromised the humanity of those so labeled. Dr. Jacqueline Battalore is an attorney and a professor of sociology, anthropology, and criminal justice at St. Xavier University in Chicago. All right? As an anti-racist writer, educator, and trainer, she teaches courses in law and society, having received her Ph.D. from Northwestern University, Northwestern, going too fast here, Northwestern University, where her research was shaped by an interest in social forces that make up deep human connections across race so difficult to sustain. Her graduate training includes the theology, uh, includes theology, social ethics, sociology, and law. Okay, that's just a little bit about this lady. Again, you can find her all over the net. Okay, um, born in Scotland, lived in Belgium for six years before her family relocated to Victoria, Texas. I know she learned a lot about racism in Texas. The experience of attending high school and middle school in Texas formed her understanding of race in America. <laughs> that it did. Dr. Battalora speaks widely on the topic of the invention of white people in law and has been conducting white awareness and anti-racist training sessions since the mid-1990s. So anyway, folks, I don't want to uh, uh, take too much time. I just want to say one more thing here. I just thought of this. One more thing I want to say. Well, a couple more things here. Folks, listen. A lot of you are Christians listening to this show tonight. A lot of you are Christians. And you are required to, if you are a true Christian, which means you live by the precepts and concepts of the Bible, the commandments of the Bible, we are commanded, folks, as Bible believers, to not be involved in idolatry. And all white supremacy is is a philosophy, a, a wrong, evil philosophy that whites are superior in uh, various areas of life. Whites are first, whites are better, whites are better neighborhoods, better this, better that. Whites are just smarter than us. Just all type of lies that not is just in the Klan or in white supremacists, but they're in everybody. All of us houses these teachings and philosophies. A lot of our ministers preach a lot of philosophies with roots of white supremacy. This is not just a white man beat up on the white man night tonight. And you'll see when this lady come on what I'm talking about. White supremacy is a belief system. Anyone can believe the belief system. Anyone. I was just thinking about my own life. I'm 56 years old, and all my life I've practiced white supremacy. All my life, my family has practiced white supremacy. All my life, my friends have practiced white supremacy. To my black folk, all my life, churches I've been a part of have practiced white supremacy. All my life, colleges that I've attended have practiced white supremacy. All the schoolings they have practiced white supremacy. And yes, all my life, again, the churches I've raised up in practice white supremacy. What is white supremacy? Any teachings about whites that is a lie. Because a lie in the end robs us, pushes us far away from God, hinders our self-esteem, gives us low self-esteem, causes us to question our existence, our our beauty standards. When we look in the mirror, what we see, our potential, our potentials as humans, as money makers, as as protectors of our home, uh, speaking to men. You know, uh, just as a providers, it's, 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 it's just 
anything in life that we go to do with the philosophy of white supremacy. We second-guess ourselves. And on the other hand, across town, there's a superiority, and this causes pain, eventually including so-called white people. So tonight, your cousin, your friend, five smooth stones coming at you to unite, to unite, to unite. If your white person listens to the show, this is your show. If you're a black person listening to the show tonight, this is your show. We are going to, in the attitude and in the spirit of love, go into history, into laws, and show you the invention of the concept of white and black people. How it all started. How it all started. After this first clip of 10 minutes, we'll come back and take any phone calls. Any questions you have, just press one of the phone lines. Anybody have a quick question, you better jump in quickly because once this clip starts, we're not going to interrupt clips. We're going to let them play for about, uh, they average about 10 minutes each. So, again, we're going to listen to an interview by the one and only Philip Matthew from the Philip Matthew Show, and he's going to be interviewing, again, this doctor. And I'm very, very much looking forward to hearing it again as much as you guys are hearing it the first time. So, believers, Christians, those of you that fear God, you are commanded to not have idols. You're commanded to love. You're commanded to not be involved in hate. And all white supremacy is, is all of that. And we cannot continue to do that and preach this in our churches. And you'll see what I mean more clearly in a second. So let's go straight to the phone lines and let's get this, let's cue this up. This again will be one of seven clips. And uh, if y'all want to check this, this this author out, again, don't do it as you, while you're on the phone with me, but later on you can check her out. Okay, here she is, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Battalora, being interviewed uh, by the one and only um uh hopefully y'all know about uh Philip and uh he's been on the on the net for a little bit but Dr. Philip Matthews I mean I keep saying doctor uh the Philip Matthews show is interviewing this doctor so anyway here she is and we're back ladies and gentlemen live on the Philip Matthews show thank you for tuning in wherever you are around the world this is a huge momentous monumental show uh, I am so excited to have Dr. Jacqueline Battalore with me. She is an author. She is the author of Birth of a White Nation, uh, The Invention of White People and Its Relevance Today. There is her book right there. It's a fascinating book on race in America that begins with an exploration of the moment in time when white people as a separate and distinct group of humanity were invented through legislation and uh, enactment uh, of laws. Now, Dr. Battalora is an anti-racist uh, writer, attorney, and professor of sociology, anthropology, and criminal justice at St. Xavier University in Chicago. How are you, my dear? Thank you so much for being with me. I'm great, and I'm really pleased to be with you, Philippe. Wow. Well, I read your book. It is, I could not put the book down. I, as I told you in the green room, I ended up buying the Kindle because I had so many highlights, I said, there's no way I'm going to transcribe all these highlights to paper. I just do it on the Kindle. And I, it, it is absolutely amazing. Let's start with this. What, what made you decide to write a book on this topic and this subject before we get into your background and all of that kind of stuff? Sure. Well, look, when I was in graduate school at Northwestern, I was researching legal prohibitions on marriage. And I was in the law library, going back 
historically to prohibition after prohibition. And then I found myself looking at laws in the 1600s and, and something wasn't right. I, I, it, I wasn't conscious about exactly what that was, but that night after I went home and I went to bed and, and something was bothering me about the, um, what I what I had read in my research, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And then at some crazy hour in the morning, as such things tend to go, um, I woke up and I realized, wait a minute, white people weren't there. Like that that label that I have grown up with that was attached to my birth certificate, you know, so certainly for my entire lifetime was a category I just took for granted. And it did not exist um, in these early laws of the 1600s. So, so I was surprised um, to have discovered myself that white people were probably an invention for a particular political purpose. And, um, and so because I found it so fascinating and so important um, for my own personal understanding of, of, of this construct we call race, mm -hmm. um, I, I really knew that it was important to share. And, and I thought other people would also find it really important and valuable. How long did it take you to research and write the book? Um, well, I had a one year sabbatical and um, I probably three years, but that one year sabbatical was really, I, I really got to concentrate and work and it was um, probably the bulk of the book was written in that year. Nice. Well, we're going to get into the content, but I also, I know some people have asked that you have an eclectic career, and that is they want to know how did you become a professor, or not necessarily how did you become a professor, but you were a Chicago police officer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got to go and have a little journey back in time, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to talk about this, of how uh, you came to be, because I think nobody could have had a more perfect background uh, career-wise to come out and do the book and write the book that you're writing. Uh, but you are, uh, what, what, what is your nationality or country you were originally born in? I was born in Scotland. In Scotland. And then you came to America, your family, of course, came to America. Uh, and uh, you ended up in Texas, I believe? Yes, Victoria, Texas. Victoria, Texas. Uh, and then how did you get to Chicago? Well, you know what, I went to undergrad in Adrian, Michigan and law school, Toledo, Ohio. And then I came to work at a, law, a big law firm um, downtown Chicago and I began graduate work at Northwestern. Awesome. So what made you decide to say within your, you're in law and, and, and uh, uh, in a, in a uh, academic degree profession, hey, I, I don't wanna be a cop. <laughs> well, it didn't really, it, that wasn't the trajectory. So here I was, I, I already had a law degree and I was, I realized when I began the work of being a lawyer that I was more interested in ideas about law than the practice of law. Um, okay. So that's why I, I went back to graduate school at Northwestern. And while I was in graduate school, um, a, an undergraduate student at Northwestern, Mark Rust, was um, shot and killed by Chicago police. He was unarmed. The next day, an African-American woman, and, and Mark's um, African-American, uh, the next day, an African-American woman, unarmed, shot and killed by Chicago police. And I just, I was waiting for riots in the streets. Um, and there were none because the police officers themselves were both persons of African descent. 
which to me was no reason for there not to be riots in the street, but there weren't. Um, but I, I was astounded. I felt that I was in a world that was back, uh, the, the stories that I had learned about the civil rights movement of people getting mm -hmm. shot, killed, and, and um, I just felt like here I've been so privileged and so fortunate to get to pursue graduate studies, um, and I thought maybe I could make a difference in the police department. I thought I could bring my experience in law, my understanding of, of race and society that I was learning in graduate school. Um, and so it, originally what happened was I was teaching um, undergraduate students who were criminal justice majors. Mm -hmm. and so I thought if I took the police exam, I would be able to be a better teacher. It might help me um, help them for those who want to pursue that career. So that was the original reason for taking that exam. I really had no intention of pursuing a, um, uh, becoming a Chicago Police Department, but then as I faced challenges pursuing an academic career as a race studies specialist, I thought, you know what, I'm here, I don't want to leave Chicago, um, maybe this is a place I can, I can bring talents and skills and, and learn some really important things. So that's what happened. Well, uh, my assumption would be, and I'm playing my Phil Donahue role here for those who are old enough to know Phil Donahue, remember Phil Donahue. Uh, it, it must have been uh, uh, an unbelievable situation for you to be, one, a, a, a woman uh, a, a who is studying race relations and thinking that you're going to go into this entirely racially profiled and motivated company called Chicago Police Department and make a change. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't go in. Well, that was an easy answer, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Jacqueline Battalora, she'll be back next week. Uh, we'll continue. Uh, um, but, you know, I, I, were, you, were you kind of like, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, 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 shell-shocked? No, not really. What, not shell-shocked when I went in. I, well, you know, I think when I observed the degree. Or just naive, a little bit, maybe. Probably, well, certainly, look, I, I was a middle-class white girl going into a Chicago police, access to, to top-quality education going into the police department. So, so I became aware of things, and I saw things that so far my worldview had shielded me from. So in that way, for sure. Um, I mean, I had no grandiose um, notions that the police department was going to welcome me with open arms by any means. Um, and I really thought I could, that maybe the value I could bring would be through learning from observing and, and really learning. But then I, I quickly realized that um, my brain cells weren't getting utilized and I felt like they were fading. <laughs> and, and so then I, I applied for um, a, a position within the law division of the police department. Mm -hmm. And I was basically told, unless you can make a phone call, which means if I knew somebody higher up, which I didn't, um, there was nothing they could do for me. So I, I resigned the ne that, next, that week, actually. Wow. Okay. Well, so that helps with uh, building this premise of, of, of your work. Uh, and this book. Now, 
there's a YouTube video that I, I came to uh, find out about you. Uh, it started with, with uh, uh, Inez uh, uh, Torres Davis, uh, who did a wonderful op-ed and uh, mentioned, you at the, mentioned your work at the end of her, her uh, blog uh, entry. And after uh, trying to look for you, I found this YouTube video. And I think the first thing you said on the YouTube video was that white people didn't exist b before 1681. And I said, well, I got to go get, go get a cup of coffee. Let me go and watch this one. This is going to be good, folks. <laughs> okay, folks, that's, that's part one. Again, six, six more clips just like that. And what, this is what we'll do. We'll play the clip, take questions or comments, or, or I'll comment, and uh, we'll go to the next clip. Uh, I don't see anybody hands up. Anybody have any questions, please press one quickly because I want to go to the next clip pretty quickly. But before I do that, I just want to say, what did y'all think? What did y'all think? Again, that's Philip Matthew of the Philip Matthew Show interviewing Dr. Jacqueline Battalora. Uh, this lady is about to go deep, even deeper. She's going to talk more about laws, the exact laws, times, events, uh, where it all happened, the invention of the white race. Not per se white skin invented at that moment, but taking white skin people and saying they are a people. They are now a people. Are you white or black? You know, the way they ask on application, all of this started around 1686. Can you believe it? But you have not heard anything yet. So just want to make a few other points I thought of that I didn't make at the beginning of the show because I wanted to hurry up and get her on. But Again, coming your way, she's going to talk about the Virginia Slave Code uh, that actually made all this happen. Uh, she's going to talk about, um, 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 can't even think here, my brain is rushing. So, But the reason, again, we're doing this show, because I see something just now coming in. Folks, we're gonna, uh, the, the reason we're talking about this tonight is our world is saturated with racism. And your cousin, your friend, Five Smooth Stones, is just wanting to make some solutions. Tonight's show is dipped in love. I invite you to, to share this link with white people because this is white people friendly, so to speak. It, all of my shows are, but tonight, really, it is. This is a white lady, as you, as you can hear, and they are swinging about how this whole thing about white and black is a concept made up made up. God never intended it. No words in the scriptures. And some of us think it's been around since forever, thousands and thousands of years. That's not true. They were not called white people in Europe early on. They were not called white people past the 1600s. This is all new, and it's got us hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other. Um, some preachers getting up preaching as though God had a purpose for white people. You can't lump them as white people because there's no such thing. God has no purpose for white people as a people because they're not a people based upon skin color. They are just people. They're just people. And they just happen to have white skin. The same look, blonde hair, blue eyes, is found in India. It's found all over Africa. It's found all over Australia. What are those people? Do they belong in Europe too? Some of them are born to, all of them are born to black people. So who is really white? Y'all have not heard nothing yet. You just wait. This lady is really going to, and you see how they're talking. They're very cordial. No, they're not fighting or, or disrespecting each other. And that's how I want us to be tonight, and I think that's how we will be tonight. Again, we have a phone line full of people. Thank y'all for stopping by, tuning in. And um, 
couple more things that we're going to go right back to the phone lines again. I cannot say this enough. If you are a Christian, if you all believe, if you worship God, I tell you, we are commanded not to participate in a lie and deception, especially if it's causing us to feel less than ourselves. Uh, I'm talking about white supremacy. I'm talking about the philosophy of white supremacy. Black is bad. Black is not good. Black people are ignorant. Black people can't do this. Black people can't do that. White people can always do this. White people can do that. That's white supremacy. And it's not, it's a philosophy. Anybody can believe it. Old white people, old black people, young white people, young black people. Uh, children can be participating in white supremacy based upon if, they, if their mama tells them that you're ugly because you're black or, you know, you know, shape your nose. You know, I remember uh, even my mother, as much high regards as I can have her, she's probably the, uh, the most highest woman I rep- uh, respect on the planet, that ever lived on the planet, my mother. But one thing she used to say is shape your nose, shape your baby noses. That was straight up white supremacy. While black kids got a nose have to be shaped. Now, I understand the whole head shaping thing, but, but the nose, white people never heard of it. They never told their kids to shape their nose. Why do you want to shape your nose so it won't spread, she used to say. Who came up with the lie that black people's baby nose spread? There's just one little tiny lie out of thousands we've heard over our life. I'm not picking my mother because I have said stuff. If I can only think of it now, I'll probably mention it. But I'm just, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, but it's so many lies. The white neighborhoods are better. White features are prettier. And they're not even white features. That's another white supremacy lie. They're not white features. Indian people have those uh, narrow nose, uh, more narrow lips. They're not even prettier lips. They're just lips. The fact that you said they're prettier, some of us all of our lives, that's white supremacy. You know, uh, white people hair is better. Well, first of all, it's not white people hair. It's not better hair. Kinky hair is not less better than hair that blows in the wind. It's just hair. Different types of hair for different genetics work for different regions, et cetera, et cetera. But we got all these self-hate things we say about each other, do to each other, and I'm telling you, it's got to stop. We as believers have got to understand there's no such thing as white people, no such thing as black people. How about that? As much as you keep hearing the invention of white people tonight, the invention of white people tonight, the invention of white people tonight, every time you hear that, say this say this in the back of your mind. There is no such thing, friends and family, as black people as well. We're going to go to the clip in the next, in a second here, but I just got to say this. I got to say this. There's no such thing as black people. There's no such thing. African-American is an invented concept. Black people is an invented concept. Well, who are we then? Who are we then, Seth? Who are they then, Seth? In Genesis 10, God divided the people, and there were 70 nations. Nobody knows who those 70 nations are because we're so mixed and mixed. There's only one nation we can track out of all 70 of those nations, and it's only because God said, and Mosai said that he would allow or cause those people to fulfill prophecy. They're supposed to act this way. They're supposed to live this way. If they obey, they're going to have it this way. If they disobey, they're going to have it that way. And that is his chosen people, Israel. Outside of being an Israelite or a Jew, there's no other way you can know who all other those six, nine people are. There's no way. It's impossible. So you just have to accept people as just human beings. 
unless you are an Israelite fulfilling those prophecies, then we know you're an Israelite. We can say you're an Israelite, you're an Israelite, you're a Jew, you you guys are fulfilling prophecy. Deuteronomy twenty eight, Leviticus twenty six. So we're going to the clip, we're going to the clip in a second. But folks, it is no such thing as white skinned people. All this white pride, white power, all this this the, the Steve Bannon and the altern, al, alternative right that they have, this big movement of seven hundred, I think, eighty four hate groups, this big push towards break, taking America back, taking America the way it used to be, white rule, that's what they're talking about, folks, in your world in two thousand seventeen. And we are commanded as believers to be aware of well I'd be aware of every single thing the enemy is doing or the devil is doing through people but we have to be aware of the times anyway here come clip number two I hope y'all enjoying this as much as I did again this is crazy all this talk all this all of the millions and billions of dollars spent in preserving white skin and it's not even a such thing my goodness. Here we go. Okay, let me go and watch this one. This is going to be good, folks. Um, this is going to be educational. Um, and then subsequently reached out to you and, and, and you know, got the book and started uh, uh, to, to look at uh, a, a conversation that needed to, needs to be uh, have on a, on a multitude of levels and frequently. And that is because we look at white supremacy um uh as um, almost almost like greek mythology right it's just something that's always been um we've never heard uh from someone who is credentialized and qualified as an attorney to say hey here are the laws that actually created the term white because, and I'm using quotations because that's what you use in your work as well uh, in the book, quotation marks, because white does not really exist. It's not a race. It's not any type of nationality. It's, it's, it, it's, it has no biological meaning. And we just think because we're uh, African-Americans and even that is, you know, qu uh, quotable, uh, that this is the way it has always been. And we fought in the civil rights and we're still fighting. Um, but you're say, what I read from you is that all of this began with a big word called anti-miscegenation. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I want you to explain what anti-miscegenation laws are, and then we can start to break down how white people were created uh, and this separatism and racism and structural racism and Jim Crow and, and so on and so forth began to shape uh, America. Sure, so anti-miscegenation laws are laws that made it illegal for white people to marry various versions of non-white people. Mm -hmm. They were actually invented um, by lawmakers in colonial North America. So they had never existed, for the most part we just adopted, um, well, of course, because the colonizers um, through the colonies in Maryland and Virginia um, and much of the East Coast were British colonizers. So British law was the law of the land. So anytime there's a break from British law, you always want to pay attention um, because it tells us something about the needs and desires of those who, the, the British who wielded power in the context of colonial North America. So we can't blame the British for this one? Well, we can, but only the British in North America. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Right. Well, so the, the 
and actually, I'll, I'll answer that again when we address the invention of white people. But with regard to anti-miscegenation law, the British in England um, were pretty happy to pick it up and use it. So Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't see a struggle or a fight there. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I think <laughs> Oh, no, 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 America, you can't do this to your people. I've never saw that before, so, okay. No. So anti-miscegenation laws were laws that made it illegal for white people to marry various versions of non-white people. Now, lots of times and lots of academics in-, in And this is not just uh, Africans. So this is all uh, races. This is Japanese, Chinese, Mexicans. They were passed state by state. And so it depended on the populations of non-white people in the particular state. For instance, California, where you are, mm -hmm. uh, they had a wide variety of um, various non-white people. So that y'all's anti-miscegenation law prohibited white people from marrying persons of African descent, um, Chinese, persons of Chinese descent. And then after the Japanese came and Filipinos came, they just uh, broadened the category to mongrel um, and prohibited whites from marrying Native Americans. And there were actually a few more that I can't remember. But anyway, you get the idea. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm the prohibitions expanded. So it depended upon the numbers of non-white, uh, the population of non-white peoples within a state. Um, and so these laws, um, anti, the very first anti-miscegenation law, or I, I actually think it's probably most accurate to refer to it as the precursor to anti-miscegenation law, because this okay. law um, in um, the 16, 1664, in the colony of Maryland, mm -hmm. it thought to to make it uh, to criminally punish rather British women from marrying enslaved Negro men was the language of the law. Mm. Um, and so that first law um, had it. They they said in the law itself that the purpose of the law was to um, prohibit and and inhibit and limit these marriages. They saw it as a violation to um, to Britishness and the British people overall. Now, is it true that that uh, there was also uh, uh, limited women per men uh, as a result? And and um, I, I don't I don't know. Assume that the women were preferable to uh, those of African descent and other races, perhaps than just the British men that were in power? Well, there were very few women in, um, and, and I focused the beginning of this book, um, the, that moment in time when white people were invented to the colonies of Maryland and Virginia, because it is out of there, of that context, it is those colonies uh, where we actually see the first usage of this categorization in law called white people. Um, so they were on the front end of that. Um, Absolutely. In both colonies, um, the ratio of men to women, there were roughly 10 to 12 men for every woman. Um, wow. You know, in that context, you can imagine that women very likely had their pick um, of men sure. in that context. And so that first, uh, what I will call the precursor to anti-miscegenation law, uh, was likely an effort by the ruling British elite to maintain some control and access to the very limited number of women that existed in the colony. But here, here um, Philippe, the one thing, as I talk to people about this historical moment, the part that folks have the most difficult um, 
time wrapping our heads around is the fact that at this moment in the, the first three quarters of, of the 17th century, the first three quarters of the 1600s, um, white um, people who were from Europe, British and other Europeans, and persons of African descent, once they were free of their terms of indenture or free of enslavement, had the same rights as a matter of law. Yeah, now that's something a lot of people would never even consider or think of because we think slavery is slavery. It doesn't matter. There's no such thing. And 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 what history has shown is that there were there was a point in time when uh, everyone was equal. There was no uh, dis definitely no distinction of race by color. Um, and that is difficult to to kind of think about, especially when you think about how America was. Uh, you know, created with, you know, uh, the Native Americans and, and, and what have you. So please continue on to get a little deeper into that if you could. Well, sure. So, so as a matter of law, uh, in this first three quarters of the 1600s, uh, we, here's what we know. Um, we know, uh, and we know this largely through the um, work of historian Edmund Morgan, who's really famous for his um, histories of um, Virginia and, and beyond that, but, but that one in particular. And uh, his research revealed that there were um, numerous persons of African descent who were free, right? So it's not that everybody had the same rights as a matter of law, but oh, there weren't any free black people. So, mm -hmm, <laughs> so they mm -hmm. really weren't exercised. We know for, for a fact with data that there were um, free persons of African descent in these colonies. Um, we know that in one county in Virginia, um, of the 10 free, free men of African descent, five of them were married to British women. Um, we know that um, persons of African descent could vote if they owned land, and they did. They could um, run for office. They could own slaves or indentured servants, and they did. There's records um, of uh, persons of African descent owning both. Um, and so, and this is prior to this is prior to chattel slavery. This is prior to. Uh, or is this during the same time? I mean, what, what, what time frame are we looking at here? We're, we're talking from the, from the 1614 um, into the 1670s. Okay. In this period, we of course know some of the groundwork that built chattel slavery is mm -hmm. underway. It's definitely underway. Gotcha. Um, through that. And uh, that's clip number two ending there. We're going to play clip number three in a, in a second. But what do y'all think? Uh, you seeing the, the picture she's painting uh, is a completely different picture than what we've heard. We didn't know that black people had some freedom prior around that 16, early 1600. We didn't know that. I know y'all didn't know that. You thought we was always slaves, slaves, slaves. But she's saying there was a period where blacks and whites were together, working together. And I don't want to jump ahead, but she's going to talk about the unity among blacks, so-called blacks and whites, prior to the invention of this so-called group called white. The powerful elites got tired of, well, they was being, the, the whites and blacks began to unite. I'm just kind of giving you all a little, some sound bites of what's about to come your way in the uh, uh, future clips here. Because it's all so fascinating to me, folks. It really is. Uh, all of this talk, all of this hell, all of this, all of this pain, all the stuff our forefathers went through, 
and and our people continue to go through all this suffering, all this bicker, bicker, uh, bickerness and hatred, and even murder, deaths, premature deaths, uh, police shootings, uh, uh, you name it. All areas of life we are experiencing this racism, and to find out that no such thing as whites as a nation, because that's what they that's what they talk about. Surviving as a nation, as a people, and what this lady is presenting, she's, you know, gear one right now. She's about to take off. She's going to show you how it was all about us not trying to protect the white woman from the black man. And and, uh, that's the whole purpose, the fear of being genetically annihilated Uh, because some, some, saw that happening way back then, but it didn't. Again, the masses wasn't on that. It was just a few was worried about being uh, annihilated, and they created this, 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 this class of people. You're now white, and with, being, with you being white, you can get these benefits and that benefits, and, and it's about white privileges. They introduced white privileges, again, back in the 1600s, they, and, and whites bought on to it, and they divided us. They divided us us meaning black, so-called black people, black-skinned people and white-skinned people that had that unity that was holding the powerful elites accountable. They didn't want that. They saw what was going to happen. That was the number. That was probably number one. But then they also saw how that if we continue to mix, or if we mix like we was like was uh, heading uh, headed at uh, mixing, that there would be no whites. I believe that was the fear they had early on. But anyway, it's, it gets very interesting, folks. I'm telling you, it gets very interesting. Again, you're listening to uh, Five Smooth Stone with this special presentation uh, by the one and only Philip Matthew of the Philip Matthew Show interview and Dr. Jacqueline Battalora, a very educated lady. And she's not the only one. A lot of people have been blowing this whistle, but there's just not enough of them. That's why some of you hadn't heard of this yet, but it is not a fact. No such thing as white people. All black people based upon skin color. No such thing, folks. No such thing. Here's clip number three. 1670s. Okay. In this period, we, of course, know some of the groundwork that built chattel slavery is mm-hmm. underway. It's definitely underway. Gotcha. Um, through that first three quarters of the 17th century, now, what you have in, in um, the colony of Virginia and Maryland, uh, the, the, both economies are rooted in tobacco farming. And mm-hmm. so the large landholders had just this continual need for a new labor supply, right? Because their indentured servants completed their term of service. Um, and the indentured servants were all um, uh, colors. I mean, it was, it, it, was, it was whites, it was Africans, it was many different people. Is that right? The, there is actually some dispute among historians whether um, some of the persons of African descent who were there at the time, whether they were in fact slaves or in fact indentured servants. And for um, the record for the people, sure. can you differentiate the two between indentured and-, and Absolutely. And, yeah. um, an indenture is a, is a contract for, um, for service for a term of years, usually seven to 14 years. Um, and after that point, you're, you're then free. You've worked off the cost of, of your transport to the new nation, um, to, to the, the colony, um, which is what the, the um, landholder covered for you to get there. Um, whereas enslavement is, is for life. There's no, there's no term, but here's what we know. We know that many persons of African descent were freed in wills, 
um, in various estate planning instruments of slaveholders. We know that persons of African descent had, had side businesses completely consistent with completing their work for the landholder um, and were able to purchase their freedom and the freedom of, um, of other family members and the like. Um, so those were two very different structures. And of course, um, the law of indenture was protected and monitored and controlled by British law, whereas there was neither British law nor international law um, to either prohibit or restrict or, or provide any sort of protective parameters to enslavement. So very different structures. Okay. Um, yet we know that even with slavery um, existing at the time, that there were um, free, free persons of African descent. Wow. Okay. So, so thank you for that because I needed to have a little preface there uh, as we as we move forward <clears throat> in that first uh, uh, first quarter, if you will. Uh, so, what began happening where the anti miscegenation laws? Uh, well, was it Bacon's uh, Bacon's Rebellion? I remember uh, talking to you about that. That's also in the book. Uh, maybe that's where we should where we should go next. Uh, and that is, how did the Bacon's Rebellion begin? And then and then subsequently, uh, because of Bacon's Rebellion, uh, the anti miscegenation laws uh, began, and then it became absolutely crazy and controlling. Uh, because these white men wanted to have control of white women and uh, didn't want anyone else to have them. And, you know, boom, 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 here we are, you know, today. But let's, let's start with uh, Bacon's Rebellion and, and uh, the beginnings of that and then how the laws were created and then subsequently white people were created. Great. So here's what started to happen. The, um, those landholders were able to turn to England for much of the first three quarters of the 1600s to find uh, laborers. For some reason, there was a population boom and lots of poor people in England who were on the public doles. So the king was thrilled to have them tossed into boats and sent over um, to the colonies um, to work. And so by the, the late 1600s, early, excuse me, by, by the late 1660s, early 1670s, um, that labor pool dried up. And so that's where you begin to see a shift um, on the part of those large landholders to the African slave trade. Um, so you start to see larger numbers of persons of African descent in these colonies um, with a status of slave. And so um, this is what began to happen um, in the 1660s. The, because the labor pool in England dried up and there was a shift um, a greater emphasis on African-American slaves to, to do the work. Um, you had a, a lot and, and, and a number of other factors. And let me see if I can capture some of those to give us sure, a, a for the tensions of the time. So tobacco prices, um, and remember that's the base of the economy in both Maryland and Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, tobacco prices dropped, taxes on tobacco increased, um, the farmable land, even for the indentured servants and, and those persons of African descent who got their freedom, um, the farmable land had mostly been given to the king's friends. Um, 
And so there, there was very little opportunity to make it on one's own. And furthermore, even, even those who were able to buy land, um, because the really large landholders were able to have basic a, an unpaid labor force via slavery, mm -hmm. um, how could you compete with that as a small landholder right. farmer? So all of these tensions, oh, and, and the British um, colonists also passed a law that required land ownership to vote. Um, so that was another um, uh, wound that helped to incite uh, folks. So there were lots of so there was a lot of hostility there. Absolutely, there were lots of reasons for um, being disgruntled, and and the masses absolutely were. And so through the leadership of Nathaniel Bacon, who himself was actually in the elite, um, but he. Uh, he was very frustrated that the elites would not um, go kill native peoples. Um, there had been an incident where it was alleged that some native tribal people had killed some British um, colonists, and, and he was frustrated that there wasn't an adequate response. He wanted to go kill them. Um, and so it, just as much as he was frustrated with um, his unable to direct his animosity at native tribal people because of the contractual agreements that the elite had established with native tribes so that they would serve to protect the colonies from the hostile Native Americans who viewed them, of course, as invaders. Of course. Um, well, they weren't viewed, they were. But go ahead, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but some of the native people were, were you know, maybe welcoming is too strong, but um, Less, hostile, less violent yeah. toward yeah. them um, as okay. an initial response. So he was frustrated by that, and then he was just um, frustrated by the greed and um, uh, of the elite. So that all combined, he was able, because so many people were so incredibly disgruntled, faced um, extremely harsh punishments for really minor infractions, right, to keep the labor force longer. If, if you go kill a hog and I catch catch you, I get to add seven more years to your term of service. Mm. Um, so people were unbelievably frustrated. So he didn't have to look very far to find um, people who wanted to support his cause. So he began what is named after him um, Bacon's Rebellion. It occurred in the colony of, of Virginia. And the first phase, phase of it focused on just slaughtering Native Americans. Um, the second phase of the rebellion focused upon the British elite. The rebellion was enormous. Letters that um, the British elite wrote back to the legal oversight authority in England revealed that more than 30% of the Virginia colonists supported the rebellion. Hmm. And it ultimately took um, England sending in a ship of um, military to quash the rebellion itself, even though- It was that large. Yeah, it was that significant. Wow. Uh, it, it also seems contradictory and oxymoronic because one was to kill the Native Americans. The other was uh, to go against the British elite. Am I missing something in this? Well, yeah, let me, I can fill in some more details that help that make sense. <laughs> so, so you can, so put yourself in the shoes of a British indentured servant. Okay, so you have all these frustrations. It's really tough for you to make it. 
right? There's there's very little land. So, so we would could, we we would call that a, a a poor white person today. Sure, absolutely. Okay, a poor laborer, poor white sure. laborer today. Okay. So so that imagine you're in those shoes, and so one of the ways that that uh, the poor British indentured um, servants saw for them to make a living to make it under these difficult conditions was to do things like kill animals and sell furs and pelts. The problem was that the British elite um, gave exclusive rights for trapping and um, fur trade to the protectionist native tribes that surrounded them. Right? Mm. So that created this animosity, but as usual, instead of focusing the animosity on those with the power and the control, the anger gets directed at the native people to exercise the least power in that um, that arrangement. Fascinating. And folks, there you have it. There you have it. And um, I told y'all we was going to be swinging, and I really enjoyed that. Didn't really, didn't really know a lot of. I'm kind of. Um, caught off guard here. I didn't know that much involved Bacon Rebellion. I thought it was just a small rebellion. But as you see, she's setting the stage, and you're gonna, you can see how a lot of whites felt back then, you know, disenfranchised. And so when somebody come along and start talking about some, uh, you know, you can have a better life, just, just uh, sign on to this thing called white privilege, you can imagine. You can imagine, and that's exactly where we're at. Well, before I go to the next clip, before I go to the next clip, I just want to just remind everybody, you listen to Five Smooth Stones. Five Smooth Stones, this is a, 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 not a family show. This is our uh, public show tonight, and we're swinging at the giant, probably the biggest giant in America, racism. Uh, racism, the philosophy, we define it as white supremacy slash black inferiority. Racism, we define as white supremacy slash black inferiority. The teaching that whites is superior, the teaching that blacks is inferior. The acceptance by anyone, black or white, and anyone in between that buys into that lie is what we call a white supremacist. And I believe it's all of us. I think all of us at some point in time, even today, have participated in that lie, white supremacy slash black inferiority. In your conduct, we say it like this, in thought, speech, or action. In thought, speech, or action. So, friends, family, have you participated in white supremacy today? In thought, speech, and action? I think possible that you can say you haven't. All of us have. I said all of us have. So before we go to the next clip, thought I would take a little short break, and uh, we'll be right back, folks. We'll be right back. Greetings, family. This is Darlene Douglas of the Douglas Kennedy Family and Friends Network reminding you to tune in next Tuesday for our upbeat, fun-filled, informative, and inspirational show. Join us, family and friends, at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on the Blog Talk Show Station 5 Smooth Stone. See you there.
Okay, we're back. And uh, friends and family, I just want to remind everybody, y'all know there's a lot going on in our country, right? And uh, hopefully y'all would urge this serious, serious surge. All the news stations have mentioned it in hate groups. Hate groups. And the hate groups foundation is white supremacy. They believe that blacks are inferior, that whites are superior. In other words, we call this racism. It's nothing to play with. Uh, one person recorded 784 groups. They're growing like crazy. Not trying to, not trying to, not trying to get anybody to be scared tonight. Not trying to promote fear tonight. But I'm letting you know this is the world we live in, and somebody has to say something to do something about it, especially the people of God. What is the Father saying about all this? What is the Father doing about this? What is His plan? You know, the Bible says. The Father does nothing on the earth except he reveal it unto his prophets. Okay? The Bible does, the Bible says, again, that the Father says very clearly that he does nothing on the earth unless he reveal it unto his prophets. That's your Bible, folks. So I believe that he uses me and others and I will I'm not I won't shy away from prophets. <laughs> and that's by the way, that's the uh, book of Amos uh, chapter three, verse seven. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing it unto his prophets. Folks, I think he wants his prophets to let the people know that it's a lie, it's a myth. All his talk about race is a myth, it's a lie, it's based upon a lie. So all this white power, white pride, it's a lie. God never, ever, ever commanded us to preserve something that man made. Man made the concept of white and black. We're not supposed to preserve white skin or black skin. We're just supposed to live and love and whatever color people come out, let it be so. Now the Father did divide people based upon region. In the Tower of Babel, yes, he did. It ended up being a regional thing. And he talks about these various nations. Some of the nations was cursed or blessed, depending upon how they responded to the Creator. But that was the only way, the only time he divided people was based upon region. And even to this very day, we cannot determine who was a part of those ten nations. We can't determine what's what. The only nation we can follow is Israel. Israelite or the Jews because he said certain prophecies was going to be upon them. They was going to fulfill certain prophecies. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 46, and they, speaking of the blessings and curses, and they, speaking of the blessings of the curses in that chapter, and they shall be upon thee for a sign and a wonder and unto thy seed forever. So if we want to know who the real Jews are, we follow those blessings and curses. And y'all know who I think they are. I believe African Americans is one of those lost tribes. Because we fulfill all of the prophets in Deuteronomy 28, as well as Leviticus 26, as a nation, not individually, but as a nation. So, family, tonight, tonight, what is your cousin, your brother, your 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 friend? What is this blog station doing? Five smooth stones. We are presenting a mind, an intelligent white lady, so-called white lady. We have to say so-called by the name of Doctor Jacqueline Battalora. Very smart lady, and she's just one of many. But I thought I would switch it up. Sometimes y'all need to hear white people say the things I've been saying for a long time, for, since 2012 on Blog Talk Radio. 
sometimes I like to switch it up and have our white brothers and sisters saying the very same things I've been saying, and that is that there's no such thing as a white race, no such thing as a black race. It's all made up. It's a myth. It is a myth. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back to the phone lines. I mean, excuse me. And by the way, for anybody on the phone lines with questions or comments, please press 1. Uh, now is a good time because I'm about to go to another clip, and once this clip starts, we won't be able to shut it off. So we're going to go to another clip again. Race, white race, black race, based upon colors, what we're talking about tonight. So let's go on to the next clip, and uh, we'll come. We'll take your questions or comments after the clip. This clip is going to be another 10 minutes, and I'm enjoying this. Hopefully you are, too. I know y'all was blown away by what she was building. You can see the and feel. You can just feel it from her explaining the 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 the, the, the um, the desperation of of, of of white skinned people back then because they was going through so much heartache to give in and to these elite groups by, you know, I could be jumping ahead. So let me just go ahead and play the next clip. Here we go. 1670s. Okay. In this period, we of course know some of the groundwork that built chattel slavery is mm-hmm. underway. It's definitely underway to exercise the least on, power the in that. Um, that arrangement. Fascinating. Okay. That uh, helps. Okay. That helps. So, so Bacon's Rebellion was huge. And um, again, in reference to the um, lawmakers in the colony of Virginia after the rebellion was quashed, we know from letters um, that they wrote to the legal oversight in England that they intended to deploy basically a divide and conquer strategy to ensure that Bacon's Rebellion never um, takes place again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, so, and so okay. it's following the rebellion then that we see um, a number of things. First of all, and foremost for our purposes um, this afternoon, is we see this label for a group of humanity um, called white people used for the first time in law ever. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now let me let me look, uh, backtrack on that a little bit. Was was there any indication in 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 history uh, where they decided to use the term white, uh, even though it just became you know they're making it a law? Was there any precursor to that where they said you know it had to be something there uh, that was color motivated uh or, or or racially motivated perhaps i don't know what are you, what is your thinking that that uh preceded them uh, to to come up with uh the term uh, uh white well i don't i don't know exactly i i suggest in the book that um if you look at the language of the law utilized by colonial lawmakers um uh, you see this effort um, that's ultimately continually unsatisfactory to label this group, right? Because look, the, the Europeans coming here, they saw themselves from whatever their na- nation of origin was. They were mm-hmm. British, they were Irish, they were Scottish, they were French, they were Dutch, they were Portuguese. Um, so people didn't come here and say, think, hey, I'm a white person. Um, it was simply not in, in the framework of consciousness at all, nor was it a, a term to group human- humanity used at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but what you saw in law, there were legal efforts to sort of group people. Um, one way in which persons of African descent were, um, were, were sort of carved out from Europeans is that they were labeled Negroes. That was the language mm -hmm. of the day. Mm -hmm. And Indians was the language used to carve out um, native tribal people. Mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of all of these other people, there wasn't a common label. And, and the legal efforts preceding whiteness were things like um, laws would say British and other Christians. But of mm. course, people who are members of native tribes or persons of African descent can become Christian. Right, because Christian is a religion, not a not a nationality. Right, so that that became a, a problematic way of organizing this group. Another legal effort that you saw was to reference these people who became white uh, first as British and other freeborns was mm. But again, mm. tribal people were were freeborn. There were um, plenty of persons of African descent who were born free outside of the system um, structure of slavery here. So. Again, um, that didn't work for this group they were intending to create. And how it may have become a, a color-oriented label, uh, my guess is, and again, you know, you kind of have to guess and just look at the evidence of what's going on at the time to give you clues. Um, um, my guess is because right at this historical juncture, they're there was such an incredible reliance at this point now on persons of African descent um, to serve as laborers. So you had a, um, a darkening of the, the skin color of those who were working in the fields mm -hmm. um, in, in a way that hadn't been present before, visually present before in those numbers. So do I think that may have, I, I suspect that played a role um, but I haven't found sort of direct evidence of other uses of the term white um, prior to its appearance in 1681. All right, so 1681, um, white people were created. Uh, walk us through what that means. Sure. Uh, what were the laws? What did the law do? How was it enacted? How was it um, uh, uh, use what were the consequences sure. uh, uh, of of these uh, anti uh, uh, miscegenation uh, laws well so let's jump to 1681 remember we spoke about that first law of 1664 passed by the Maryland legislatures um, who made it or punished criminally punished British women who married enslaved African men and so that law was intended to, in fact, in the law itself, it says the intent of this law is to prohibit, restrict um, these marriages. The effect of that law, however, had the opposite effect because through their punishment, and let me explain what I mean by that. So if a woman, if a British woman did marry a man of African descent, an enslaved Negro, here's the punishment that was meted out to her. She was enslaved for the duration of her husband's life, and any child that they have um, is enslaved into his or her 20s. So if you're, a, um, if you're a large landholder, why on earth would you ever prohibit or block those marriages? You'd want them because your property value goes up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the law had the effect of encouraging the marriages rather than deterring them, that law of 1664. 
1681, the Maryland legislators sought to correct for this problem. Um, and it was in 1681 where we see the appearance of white as a designation for a group of people, the very first time in law. And what this did was they referenced um, British and other white women um, are prohibited from marrying enslaved Negro men, so the same sort of um, prohibition, but it also included um, punishment for any um, landholder who encouraged the marriage. It criminally punished anybody who performed the marriage, um, any, a, a religious leader or a civil leader who performed the marriage. Um, and, so, and, and so this is a very um, different law from the first one in that it had some, um, the results were gonna be what they first intended um, rather than, than the reverse, which is first what happened. So, okay, so imagine that you are this person who yesterday called yourself British and today some lawmakers label you white. Mm, it was just like that. Well, who would give a damn, right? Right, nobody <laughs> would care. It's like, what are yeah. you talking about? Right. But, but here's how, here's why it worked. Because, um, it wasn't just an anti-miscegenation law. There wasn't just that law that made it illegal now for white, white women in the case of Maryland. In the case of Virginia, their anti-miscegenation law was passed in um, 1691, and it made it illegal for white women and white men from marrying a person of African descent or a member of a native tribe. Um, but lest I leave our viewers believing that gender equality prevailed in Virginia, I can quickly dispel that. <laughs> Here's what we know. Right. Because the language of the law um, made, made it appear as if it applied equally um, to men and women. What we know through studies of enforcement, especially um, studies from the antebellum period, we know that um, in uh, dire, from diaries and court records, we know that plenty of white men violated that law, but rarely was a white man prosecuted in court for having violated the anti-miscegenation law. And um, Victoria Bynum's work, Unruly Women, which is a wonderful book, um, Peter Bardaglio, um, something, The Household, uh, a, a number of wonderful studies that um, looked at the enforcement and lack of enforcement of anti-miscegenation law. And here's what they revealed, that when white men were prosecuted under, under anti-miscegenation law, it was when they dared to, to, in public now, when they dared to treat a non-white woman in a manner viewed as only appropriate for a white woman. That's what might get him prosecuted. Wow. So, so we know from, from enforcement that the law, anti-miscegenation law, was principally used to control white women and non-white men's sexuality and relationality. Wow. Hard to, it, 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 it sounds like, almost like, um, it sounds childlike in some aspect you know just childish it's like what are we dealing with here we're dealing with give, give me give me give me and you know and but we're dealing with you know obviously grown-ass people here and uh, very insecure white men uh that are making these laws that are feeling you know insecure about uh, uh if not their sexuality but the ability to, to be able to uh, uh control women 
uh, and to have uh, their share of, of, of women. Uh, it, it, it's absolutely amazing. And so can you... Well, let me, I want to I finish one of the questions you asked. Wow, wow, wow. Hopefully, uh, friends and family, y'all are enjoying this as much as I am. Uh, again, an education here, uh, some things I'm being reminded of, many things I haven't heard before. This Beckham's Rebellion and this miscegenation, I can never say it, miscegenation. Y'all know what I'm trying to say. This law is is crazy. I mean, you know what it's going to end up being, folks? I'm going to spill the beans here a little bit. She's going to hit it a little harder. She actually already said it. But you're going to get to see that the invention of the white race, the invention of the so-called labels of white and black, was all due to trying to salvage, save white women from dating, being with, marrying white black men. It's all about genetic annihilation. And they'll say it's on commerce and all that. We don't know. We don't know if it was mainly because it was interested in protecting money. But we know also there's always been this fear of white genetic survival, as we talked about earlier on previous shows I've done with Francis Cress Welsing and people like Mr. Fuller, Junior, I can't think of his name. Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm a little tired tonight. But uh, Dr. Francis Chris Wilson has, has Neely Fuller, Junior. Neely Fuller, Junior, who is Francis Wilson, Dr. Francis Wilson mentor. But Neely Fuller, Junior, he, he's all over the Internet. Again, I mentioned these names. I want you all to go and look these people up again. Dr. Francis Chris Wilson, Dr. Neely uh, Fuller, Junior, have talked about um, – this for a while, this fear of white genetics knowledge. And so they come up with this law, Miss I can never say this word. I've been practicing all day. I got it right up until I get on the show. I get a little nervous for some reason. Can you believe that? Me? But miscegenation. Anyway, I'm sure y'all getting a good laugh out of that. But anyway, this law to keep us from marrying, keep black men from marrying white women, end up creating this uh, this whole class, this brand new class called white. So they just take all the Europeans that would come to this new world uh, and, and just tag them as white, and they begin to sell white privileges. You're going to be able to do this, you're going to be able to do that, you're going to be this. And white, back then, a lot of them wasn't doing that well, and they, they, they was flattered by this whole new class and joined it, and that is what brings us to today of white supremacist groups, skinheads, all the white, uh, KKK, all these groups feeling entitled. We as white people deserve to survive, and you know this. This brings us to 2017s, where we have Breitbart, Steve Bannon in the White House, in the White House, controlling this country under Trump. You know, again, 784 hate groups and counting and increasing. Uh, even you and I. It's not just about KKK, it's you and I buying into this whole concept of white people and, and preachers preaching about white people and God dealing with white people and, and like white people have a place, you know, like they're like God made them and intended them on them. Um, like, of course God made all of us, but what I mean is God did not make 
white as a people, and that is the way it's being preached from the pulpit, from the colleges, and some of these college professors as this lady know better than that. And again, the most important thing is some of us on this phone line is buying into the lie of a race based upon color. No such thing as a black man. No such thing as a black man. No such thing as a black man. You're one of those ten nations in the Bible, okay? And uh, those ten nations had people, and they had people, and one nation come out of that a group of ten with somebody called Israelites, and the only people we can track that can say I am a speaking of uh, there and be accurately be accurate about it. Going back thousands of years ago, the only people that's intact now that we know is fulfilling prophecy of Deuteronomy twenty eight, Leviticus twenty six, and various other scriptures throughout the Bible, and that's Jews or Israelites. Because certain Bible scriptures say certain things that they will go through. And we as African-Americans, among other 11 tribes scattered outside of the United States, are, we believe, the true people of the Bible. But tonight's show is not about that. But I just want to say, to set the groundwork, that the Father never called on people based upon skin color. He calls upon call upon them based upon tongue, T-O-N-E. N G U E when he when he disguised the languages at the Tower of Babel confused the languages and they begin to understand each other certain people understood each other and they begin to you know as they um, left the Tower or only certain people understood each other those were the division that was the only division in in history we know of never based upon skin color. And this foolishness that whites come out of Europe is a lie. Cause white skin, blonde hair, blue eye come out of every dark skinned nation on this planet. They all over India, all over Africa, all over Australia. Black people have blue eyes. Black people have blonde hair. All these people come from dark skinned people. So where did white people come from? Black people. They are us. We are them. I believe, and I'm going back to the clip here shortly, I, I believe that albinos in, the, in, the, in, the, in Africa was dying, and the better suited for them was the caves of Europe, or the hills of Europe, or the colder climate of Europe, and they began to migrate by the thousands, thousands. And they was up there in those caves, and that began the caveman era. It's very true about the caveman eras, but the, era, the caveman era. But however, while the caveman era was going on, civilization was going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years in Africa prior to that. So again, when the caveman era happened, those were black uh, albinos from Africa up in those caves. Later on, we, we got record of the Moors going up there and educating them, and they learned a lot of things from the Moors, and they just began to leave that area and begin to mix with people, and that's how you get the lighter skin, from white albinism mixing with the darker hue. That's how you get all the different traits on this planet. Folks, this ain't racism. Actually, I'm on the other side. I'm, we're preaching tonight. It's about love and about unity and to let everybody see, like the Scripture says, from all nations... One blood came all nations. From one blood came all nations. We're all one. We were divided by the Father based upon tongue. And later on, different people of those various nations had behaved a certain way, and there was blessings and curses pronounced to various nations because of their obedience or disobedience to the Father. But that's it. This 
brand new concept of race based on color we invented around 1686, according to this scholar and others, is is a lie that have just 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 caused early deaths, killings, hangings. This lie that not just white people promote is what I want to get over tonight before I go to this clip. It's not something just white people promote. It's something our pastors promote, our educators promote, even our mothers to their babies promote. The philosophy of white supremacy slash black inferiority. You can't have one without the other. Whites consider they superior all they want unless they have a people to agree that they're superior. They can't rule. I'm going to say it again. Whites can say they're superior all they want unless they get somebody to buy into it. They can't rule over anybody. Somebody has to buy into the lie and believe they're inferior. It's the same coin. Flip it over one side, black inferiority. Flip it over the other side, white supremacy. Each side gives the other side strength. Neither can exist without the other. It's a philosophy, a belief system that can be believed by black babies up to white old men. And when it's believed, my goodness and my God, people begin to suffer. People begin to suffer. And that is what we're seeing. And that's why we're your, your friend tonight, Brother Seth, is on Five Smooth Stones with this wonderful professor interviewed. Brother, one and only, Philip Matthew, is talking about how white skin is a myth. The birth of a new nation concept that have wreaked havoc on this planet. Let's go back to the clip, and I'd love to hear what y'all have to say. Uh, again, serious, serious, serious show tonight. Here we go. Uh, it, it, it's absolutely amazing. And so, can you... Well, let me, I want, to, I want to finish one of the questions you asked me because I just started, um, here's how white works. It, it works. Well, that's, yeah, that's where I was going with that. Can you finish yeah. this off and, 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 and bring that in? Because I want all the consequences therein, it was, there, it was multiplicable. Absolutely. So, so what you have after Bacon's Rebellion is not only an anti-miscegenation law that was passed asserting this new label called white people, um, but a slew of laws um, that worked, and, and I'll, I'll name a few of them. You had a law that made it illegal for a free person of African descent to run for public office. Mm -hmm. um, there was a law passed that made it illegal for a person of African descent to testify against a white person. That particular law clearly was extremely effective because we see it throughout U.S. history. It'll be, we will see a law that makes it illegal for Chinese to testify against white people over on the West Coast. We will see a law on the, in the Southwest after the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and the U.S. doubles in size, mm -hmm. uh, making it illegal for, test, for Mexican persons to testify against white people. So that law um, that was part of this slew of laws that asserted white people for the first time um, was clearly... Um, an effective one. <laughs> mm -hmm. okay, so it made it illegal for persons of African descent to testify against white people. Um, a law was passed that required that an indentured servant upon completion of his or her, uh, of his service to be paid goods, including um, gun and powder. Mm -hmm. uh, and conversely, uh, made it illegal for a free person of African descent 
to be in even in possession of gun or powder. Wow. So, so they could not protect their families. Absolutely. So so we see Wow, uh, this is we amazing. See here that that at at this moment when white people were invented and through this package of laws that asserted this invention, um, a number of things are happening. We kind of see a little bit of this now. Well, not a little bit. We see a lot of this now, some of these same laws in, in terms of when, when you know, there's a, a label of felon. You, you, you know, so it's, it's kind of amazing that I'm, I'm I, I, it's what's fascinating is it's the genesis of this. Mm the genesis of, of, of white superiority, white supremacy, white people. Uh, it, it's fascinating to, to look at that epigenetic uh, rollout or intergenerational uh, inter, uh, rollout uh, of how these laws psychologically, socially affected us uh, the, and humanity of America over time, because some of the laws that, are, uh, that, that occur right now I can see tags back Absolutely. to the beginning uh, of what you have uh, uh, found. So, so please continue. Well, so when you hold this um, package of laws that were passed, um, when you hold them up and you, you look at what they did, um, it, it's really clear to me that what they did was, if, if my hands right here reflect the masses of white people, um, let's say this hand, my right hand is the, the masses of white people, and this reflects um, persons of native tribes and persons of African descent. Prior to Bacon's Rebellion, the legal structure of society in Virginia and Maryland was such that they had the same opportunities um, and faced the same rights as a matter of law after they were uh, free of enslavement or free of indenture, right? So that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the clear caveat. And note that, that you, there, you could be free of either uh, or both, indentured or as a slave, because it was a term. It wasn't uh, necessarily, uh, it wasn't a law. Well, it was a law, but you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. In fact, Edmund Morgan, um, in his research of early colonial Virginia, reveals that most people came over to colonial North America with very um, limited scope, and for the most part, it was just a potential possibility of freedom. Um, and so that um, it, that's a really important thing for us to remember. But once that um, completion of a term of service or or um, freedom from from enslavement has been reached, those people face the same rights and opportunities as a matter of law. Hmm. But after this package of laws was passed that asserted white people, um, and cre it created a difference. So now um, the bottom of society, um, this is what happened to it. There was a new bottom created. And mm -hmm. persons of native, um, those in native tribes and persons of African descent were tossed into the pit. Um, and uh, those who were now found themselves labeled white people, the masses of white people, they weren't so much raised up economically closer to the um, lifestyle and the assets and the wealth of the 1%, the land-holding elite, which mm -hmm. is terrible today to our 1%. It didn't lift them up, at least initially, didn't lift them up higher. What they did was they created a new bottom to society and tossed persons of African descent and members of native tribes there. 
as okay, a matter you, of law. That that's fascinating because you see that right now. Uh, 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 and I was talking about it earlier, poor whites, uh, uh, and you see them on television all the time or, or, or you know, newspapers, and, and even personally, it's like, well, at least I'm higher than, you know, I'm not going to use the term, but I'm higher than a black person. So that was uh, part of this epigenetic fallout of this law, where, yeah, you're still uh, not the elite, uh, you're still poor uh, white, but hey, you're doing better than people of color. Definitely. That's wow. Absolute. Fascinating. Um, so we reshuffled society it, it, um, in this post-Bacon's rebellion legal structure. Um, and then you alluded to this earlier, but, but I want to come back to it. And that's that another effect of these laws that were passed was that African-American men, um, because of certain laws, um, their uh, inability to... Um, testify against a white person, the law that prohibited a black person from being possession um, of a firearm or powder, um, those taken together work to strip and deny African-American men um, patriarchal power. Right. Um, and so uh, um, one of the things that also- It is isn't fascinating, we see that right now today. Oh, absolutely. We live with the results of this history. It hasn't gone away. It's just been more deeply embedded. Why are black men not in the household? Why, you know, there's an epigenetic chain or, or, or a consequence, uh, you know, everything has a cause. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the effects and the symptoms day to day that we don't look back as you have, which is uh, uh, elegant in what you've done. And, and, and to say, uh, here's where uh, it began. And here's the fallout uh, of this bombshell being dropped uh, in these, uh, you know, multi-generational, multiplicable laws. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so one of the other really important historical layers um, that we have to be, we have to remember is that the law of coverture um, was um, existed at this time, and it shaped the relations. But you you were expressing um, surprise, I think, at the the chutzpah, let's say, of these early white um, British men um, believing they had the authority to control white women. Um, but the truth of the matter is, a matter of law, they did, because it, the law of coverture came from um, British common law. And what it tells us is that when a man and woman marry, as a matter of law, a woman's legal status vanishes. She can't um, sue. She can't prepare a will. She has no right to her own wages. Um, she needed a man for, for everything. She couldn't um, transfer property. She couldn't hold property. So there were incredible restrictions um, on women, and they worked to advance men's belief in their um, their value and their need in relation to a woman. Wow. Okay. So um, when we look at that as well as going back a bit, when you're not able to uh, own a gun, uh, 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 own powder, to be able to protect your family, to provide for your family, uh, then uh, uh, women of color, all women of color, uh, are looking for a, a, some man to be able to 
support them. Uh, and you, you can only imagine uh, the psychological chaos uh, of that of that of the first generations that had to go through this and live through this unbelievable and it is unbelievable unbelievable again folks welcome to another episode of uh, blog talk radio this is the show uh, this is definitely uh, five smooth stones uh, with another special coming at you Hopefully y'all have been tuned in, but if you've tuned in a little later, not a problem. We're talking about um, an interview uh, with the one and only Philip Matthew from the Philip Matthew Show. He's interviewing Dr. Jacqueline Battalora, who is a scholar, I believe, on this invention of the white race. You heard me, the invention of the white race. Now, not inventing white skin, but inventing the theory that white skin is a people, white skin is a nation, white skin needs to be preserved, white skin needs to, white skin, white skin as a group of people. She's attacking this philosophy, this lie. She's bringing out dates and times and histories and laws. Bacon Rebellion, uh, 1686, what happened around that time? I'm sure y'all are getting an education tonight. I know I am. But I've, already, I've known about the whole concept of race based upon skin being a new concept, but I didn't know all these details that surrounded that event. So hopefully, again, y'all are getting an education, and uh, those of us that fear God, fear the Most High, we should, armed with these facts, go tell our brothers and sisters, sometimes our pastors, who is our brothers and sisters, to uh, just drop some of this on some of them where they can, because they continue to promote that God, you know, raise these people up, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and this is all man-made, white skin and black skin. They keep saying white people, white people, but you heard her early on say the whole concept of black as well. No such thing, friends and family, as a race based upon a skin color. I'm probably going to say this every single break. No such thing as a race based on skin color. The Bible talks about in Genesis 10, 70 nations. One of the nations is no longer around, the Amalekites. Maybe another, but I know for sure there's only 69 on the planet today. We don't know who they are because we're all mixed up. But we do know one. That's Israel based upon prophecies, what they will fulfill. We look for those prophecies and look to see who's fulfilling those prophecies. And when we look at those prophecies, we, we only find one nation of people that's African Americans that's living out those prophecies. And we know that there's 11 other tribes, and we think we know who some of those are. But for sure, African Americans living now, Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, and they have to be the people of the book. Some of you don't believe that. I understand that. But what we're talking about tonight is this lie, this foolishness. This ideology, this evil, evil, evil system created probably by Satan. No doubt is Satan inspiring these white males to create a system that have wreaked havoc. Now you got seven hundred over seven hundred and eighty few eighty four hate groups all over the country springing up and counting. You got Steve Bannon of Breibart in the White House spewing hatred. Secretly, he's already done. It's too late. He's busted. He's a white supremacist. Trump, yes, uh, we should say DT. We'll call him DT. <laughs> but again, 
leading the country. They're trying to take America back, folks. You know what's happening. They're trying to take America back. So when you believer, I'm talking to you believers, because I can't make anybody don't ascribe to Christianity do anything. But those of you that say, I live by the Bible, I live by the concept of precepts of the Bible, you are commanded not to walk in lies, deception, and to be a part of oppression. Well, when you pay homage to white skin being a nation based upon skin, or you pay homage, watch this, to black skin. We go into the next clip. But when you pay homage to black skin being a nation just based upon skin, you are buying into a very evil system of white supremacy. So then no wonder we have pastors talking about God going to use the black man. No, God can't use the black man because he don't exist. God can't use the white man because he don't exist. Because these are made up comments. These are made up. It'd be like you and caller or listener. It's like it'd be like you and me making up a race of bald head people. And we get everybody that's losing hair to mix among themselves. The next thing you know, it's thousands of them. And we start spreading a lie that they're superior and they have, I don't know, they have sex better or some lie to make people want to be, uh, you know, uh, to make the bald head people come together. So bald head people come to come together off all kind of lies, lies, lies. Next thing you know, we got millions of bald head people, and we start talking about how they're superior in every way. Do you think God has a purpose that God called them to be? That's what we're preaching. We're preaching something that foolish. White skin is not from Europe. White skin is everywhere there are dark-skinned people. Australia, India, all over Africa is blonde hair, blue eyes. People that can go to Europe, people that can go to Europe and pass for white. If you if you click into the show from the link, y'all know to call the phone number. Call the phone number. You're going to be disconnected in less than uh, sixty seconds. But I've said it many times already today that there are white skinned people all over the world, all over the world. And we're going to the clip here, but just one more little thing. There's white-skinned people all over the world. Where is the home of white people? Are you telling me the white people in India are supposed to unite and stay together? The white people in India, they're part of the white people in Europe. They come from black parents. It's, it's black people in India have no connections to Europe. They're producing that they have the same, I should say, white people have the same kind of hair as them. White people have the same kind of lips as them because they're older. So where do those white people belong? They have no connections to Europe. We have been buying and, 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 and paying homage to a lie that have caused our own demise. we got to find another way of saying black people, so-called black people, and so-called white people. And I'm sure now many of you friends and families that's been hearing me over the years know why I always say so-called black, so-called white, because it's a lie. we got to find another way to say that. Because every time we say black people, we're buying into this lie created around 1600s, 1686, 1687 to be exact. We're buying into that lie that white males possessed by Satan created. So if something is white and, 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 and it's it have the right to exist, then we should be race mixing. This is how I know we need to really think about this. I'm going to say it real quick, real quick, and then I want to go back to the to the clips. We only got two more. Folks, listen. I'm going to say it slow. If you really believe that white skin is something that God created 
and it's for us to it is to exist. Of course, he created all of us. So what I mean, if he designed us to be white, you know, no matter what, like white people are saying, you know, you guys are mixing with us and you're destroying us. They have a point. They do deserve the right to exist. If God made them to be white and they're supposed to live forever white, they have a point. We should not mix races. Y'all probably never thought about that. But that's what they're saying. And it's lots of people against 784 hate groups that they know of. It's probably more like 70,000 hate groups. But these are what white people that you work with, live with, probably some of you. I mean, this is what they feel, that we should not marry. We should not intermix because we're going to be destroyed when black mixed with white. Whites have disappeared. And they have a point. If they're telling the truth, but according to what we're hearing tonight, and we got two more clips coming, it's all a lie. It's all a lie because whites and blacks, so-called whites and blacks, was coming together back in the 1600s. And the powers that be didn't want that. They wanted to divide them so they can continue to rule. And they created this concept of white skin. I think also they was fearing just the annihilation myself. But anyway, the way she's putting it, they feared economic empire, their economic empire falling. And so they couldn't have these white poor people and black poor people uniting against these powerful elite groups, so they created this concept of white, and they created some called white privilege and told these white poor people that you're going to be able to be a part of this elite group, y'all need to stick together, get away from these darkies, and then they start denying them uh, the dark-skinned people, uh, access to powder, ammunition, all this stuff to just break us down as a people. Wow. Wow, wow, and she's just one voice out here. Of course, I've been doing it for many years. There's lots of people been talking about this for many years. She have a few more facts than I got. I go more biblical. She goes more history. But a lot of us been out here saying this for many years, family. But I thought I would switch it up and bring on this white sister being interviewed by, again, the one and only Philip Matthew. Got a quick little something to put on your mind. We're going to go back to the clip. If love, if love... If loving everyone and forgetting about color and just just treating people based upon character, as Martin Luther King Jr. says, if we all just treat each other based upon character and not color, we didn't pay no attention to color. If love, that's loving, that's, that's, what, that's what you call loving, treating each other based upon character, not skin color. If we all just loved each other, if that erases a group of people, and that is exactly what the Klan is saying, and they are 100% right. All the white supremacist group, all 784 of them is right. That will annihilate them. If love and forgetting about color and just say, look, I'm going to just love people no matter what. If whites feel that way, blacks feel that way, and everybody told the truth about history, well, we're going to be more presentable, more beautiful then we look right now, they tell the truth about history and who we are as a people, what black people really have done on this planet, how the planet started off with really dark-skinned people. They tell the truth. Their women is going to desire black men, and their men is going to desire black women, and they're going to be annihilated. The white supremacist groups are right, folks. 
So I got a question for you. If love erase you, what preserve you? Again, that's not a slap in the face to nobody. That's not presenting hate, but I bet that puts some on your mind. Here comes clip number six. First generations that had to go through this and live through this, unbelievable. Um, but looking at what this did to women and how they were literally, it, it, it was worse than codependency. It was just, it was uh, enslavement uh, in a sense to me. Uh, that they were enslaved to uh, their their husbands because they didn't have any rights to do anything. And so that husband can treat them any kind of way, do anything to them, and there was no recourse. So, you know, I guess there was two kind of slaves. They were uh, 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 those of color, but then there was also uh, women, white women. Well, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call white women slaves. Um, what I do... Um, what I think we can say is that white women worked under a legal um, structure when they married that erased them and required their dependency upon um, upon men. The part part of the exchange in the law. Oh, that sounds like slavery. I'm sorry, uh, Jacqueline. I got to push back. That doesn't sound right. But no, go ahead. I'll you know make your statement. I know I'm being a little facetious there, but okay. damn it. <laughs> I, I, hey, it, it, there was there's nothing fair about it um, by any means. Um, but I do think some distinctions are are important to raise, um, and we you can see that that legal structure made women really dependent upon men because only men were allowed in these um, economic exchanges um, and women were excluded from them, not seen as a, an appropriate sphere for them. And, um, and, and of course, we, we do have examples of, of some women who were wealthy because of family, um, family money that was given to them who didn't marry Mm-hmm. And were able to be okay because they didn't have to do anything to make a living. They had money to live on. So, mm-hmm. so those those people make sort of that the slavery comparison um, too extreme. But understood. For most understood. women, the law of coverture was unbelievably restrictive and and painful. And first wave feminist movement and second wave feminist movement have all been fighting against the the roots and the the. Um, Con, the continuance of our way of perceiving marriage and relations between um, heterosexual relations between men and women that the law of coverture built has built for hundreds of years. Talk to me about this though. Was, uh, was uh, these laws that were put in place did also had an effect on um, uh, biracial uh, children? Is that correct? That if you uh, it was called an abomination. If you uh, at, at what point did that come about? Right. Well, now you're shifting into the United States of America, right? Because right. Oh, okay. So I've already. Okay. So uh, I'm sorry. Was there more? (laughs) (laughs) Well, look. Well, so let's maybe we can. It was all one and same. (laughs) Well, well, I'll give you some facts that'll prove you're right. But but let's um maybe we can wrap up sort of this colonial moment when white people are first appear in law as this group of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's what I think this um, history reveals to us. Uh, it reveals to us that, that this invention called white people 
is ultimately about the assertion of power by the 1%. Um, number two, that it, this group white people was invented to divide laborers from each other. And really we've, we've served that purpose ever since. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we can also say that white people, this group was built upon the idea of the British as white, as Christian, and as um, privileged in relation to other people um, whose rights could be denied. Okay, wow, all right. And so, we had a hundred years from that invention to the founding of this nation. Wow. So, yeah. so this idea got to build over time sure. and through the hearts sure. and minds and practices um, of, of people and it clearly spreads because we know in, in 1791 when the very first Congress of this nation met for the very first time, um, they passed uh, immigration and naturalization law, obviously, they had to set the, the foundational laws of the new country, and they determined that in order for a person to become a naturalized citizen of the, this United States, mm -hmm. uh, which is the only way to become a citizen when one is not born here, um, and they required that one be white. Mm. So from, from founding law, a connection between white and America an American was forged. That's powerful. Um, so what happens to all the people who are already here when these laws uh, to be naturalized are put in place and all of a sudden you're no longer even naturalized uh, uh, even though you've been here all of your life, you were born here all of your life. Um, well, for for most for most people, I don't want to sound like this is a Donald Trump campaign or something. I mean, what what are we what are we doing here? Because this is this is nuts. I mean, it uh, it kind of sounds like you know some of these people are trying to take us back to the dark ages. Uh, agency. Yeah. I, I can't speak to the Republican Party various platforms there, um, but but I can talk about um, different groups of people. And, and first of all, the general rule with regard to um, being a citizen is being born in a place, that sure. was in a nation. However, persons of African um, descent who were in the United States, born in the United States, um, despite being born here, were denied citizenship. Hmm. And we know and, that- And for the record- Sure. Let people know, because you dispelled it very well in the book, what does it mean to not, uh, in legal terms, in terms of the law, what does it mean to, to not be naturalized? What are the consequences? Uh, well, there are significant consequences. I mean, when, when we just generally think about what citizenship gives us, you know, sort of the first thing we think of is sort of easy access in, back into the country once you have um, gone out for vacation or otherwise. Um, but we also can think of it in terms of access to employment. Um, and then if you start to look at um, laws that began to be passed when nativism was on the rise in this country and anti-immigration sentiment xenophobia was on the rise in this country, um, all kinds of restrictions and um, exclusions were put in place 
such that those who were not citizens couldn't um, uh, be employed in public service sector, um, couldn't be placed in a managerial position. Um, those ineligible for naturalization were uh, had their land that they already purchased stripped away from them via alien land laws out in California and other states in the West. Um, so the consequences um, are enormous and his have historically been enormous. All right. So now here, so, so you've painted this uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful picture, a wonderful mur mural of how white people came to be. Now I want you to make the connection uh, of all of this because uh, at the end, at the end of this, uh, we have uh, white privilege. At the beginning of this, we have uh, white superiority, uh, 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 white supremacy, uh, and uh, the uh, inequality uh, of wealth uh, built on the backs of uh, Africans and people of color, because there were other people. And, you know, we we did the bulk of the of the heavy lifting, no no question about it. But there were other races here as well uh, that contributed uh, to the building of America, uh, but the white people uh, controlled all of this, and it's this still elitist concept uh, and supremacy of structural racism that we live under today. And the, the new term, and I call it new relatively, it was started in the 1990s with Peggy McIntosh, of white privilege. Mm -hmm. Walk us through. Okay, folks. That was the, we got one more clip coming. This last clip is going to be about 14 minutes. I probably won't play the last few minutes because you probably be thanking her for coming to the show and all that. Again, you listen to an interview by Philip Matthews of the Philip Matthews Show. Again, you listen to an interview by Philip Matthews of the Philip Matthews Show. He's interviewing the one and only Dr. Jacqueline. By the Lord, she's all over the Internet. Look on YouTube. That's a good place to start. And, it's, uh, and she's talking about the invention, the invention of white skin or white people. She's not talking about so much the invention of white, the white skin itself. She's saying when white skin was termed and created and legalized as a people. Now all over the world, people talk about white people as though they're a people. See how I just said it? White people, it can sneak up on you. Whites are not a people based upon skin. They are either Irish or they're this or they're that. And before there was an Irish, where did Irish come from? That's a brand new word. They were something else. Before that, what was they? They were something else. Before that, they were something else. And eventually, you're going to wind back in Africa, albinos having mixed, having um, left Africa because the Europe, the coal was better for them. They was dying out. Just like right to this very day, Tanzania have the highest amount of albinos in the world. They're mistreated, and I believe those Africans, as they do today, mistreated them, and they began to migrate now where it was friendlier for their condition as well as socially. Well, up there hundreds and hundreds of years, they begin to be, act like and be cavemen because they're away from civilization. You forget some things, and next thing you know, you have the caveman era. It's very true. I don't. I believe every ounce of what I hear about the caveman era. But what we got to remember, family and friends, is when there was cavemen in Europe, many books talk about there was civilization and dynasties in Africa, all types of arts and science and math and just just civilization, colleges, thousands and thousands of years before 
Those people even went up into the caves of Europe. That's what they don't teach you. In some colleges, some colleges you can get that. But, folks, there's all kind of books out there. Um, I'll tell you some quick books, and then we're going to play this last clip. One quick book uh, is called Behold the White Heart. That's a good one. That's a good one. I have lots of books here. Um, uh, um, one, one, uh, Behold the White Heart is one of them. Oh, the 13th tribe is another one. I'll tell you all what. Here's a good thing you can do. Uh, you can go to the Google. Google this two things real quick. Uh, and I'm going to go to the clip. Final clip here, but, but before I go, I want to I want to arm you guys with some things. Well, here here I know of a, even a better way. Go to YouTube and type in the invention of the white race, a birth of a nation, and you're gonna see this clip by Philip Matthew uh, with Dr. Jacqueline uh, Battalora, and you're gonna see it's gonna have show details. Go down there's all types of link to other shows where you can get more information. Or hit me up on uh, Facebook or either my email, and I can tune y'all into a lot of books that go into detail. Some of y'all think this is hatred. It's not, because I don't even believe in the whites as a people. How can I be a, a, a hater or, or just be based in hatred? This show is about love, and I'm trying to show everybody how we're all one people, one flesh. So this show, this show should never be promoting hate, because we don't even believe in whites as a people. White people are the same as dark people. They just have less pigmentation. The only time we were divided was by region. I want to clarify something I said prior to me going to that last break. Um, I mean, before I went to the last clip. I said that love erase white skin. I ended my comment with saying if love erase is forgetting about color and walking in love, treat people just based upon character, not color, will cause the white race to be annihilated, as the white supremacists say in their right, will preserve you. If love erases white people as a nation, as a people, will preserve them? And the obvious answer is corruption and evil. Let me explain it, because I'm not saying that white people are evil. I'm saying that white skin has to be preserved through evil practices if that melanated people is going to end up mixing with them. If white women see black men equals as equals and see all the wonderful things they've done, they're going to desire them. Sexually speaking, in marriage, and they will, they're going to wind up annihilated. They will no longer have black babies. And if they do marry a white male and they have a children, they marry somebody black, again, there's that threat of genetic annihilation. This is what the Klan talk about all the time. The what I tell my white brothers and sisters is this. You do not have the right to preserve any look. We got supposed, we're just supposed to love each other, and whatever the baby come out looking like, so be it. That's what we're required to do, just to love and treat people based upon God's principles. And whatever comes out, that's going to mean you all's annihilation. Absolutely. But it's not. See how I just said it? Tricky, tricky. It's not y'all's annihilation because they're not a people based upon skin. We need to know. Just like in India, they have white-skinned people, but they're not worried about them being annihilated. They just mix with melanated people. And if the baby come out brown, the baby come out brown. They're not on no campaign to try to keep all all the albinos white in India. All those people that come out of India, light skin, ha-ha light, light eyes, red hair, they're not trying to preserve them. They just keep having babies. They're not worried. But in Europe, 
And in America, they have this concept that this sister is talking about where they have brainwashed people into preserving a, a, a people based upon skin color, and that's where all this hell came from. So, again, I'm not gloating or, or praising or jumping up and down for the annihilation of white people. I'm just saying that love definitely erases white skin. Not white people. They are a soul. They'll always exist. Their grandkids going to exist. Their great-great-grandkids. I'm not speaking no murder or genetic annihilation to white people. I'm saying white skin. I don't believe it's going to make it. But white people will always be around so-called white people. Those that have that, their soul will be here. But that white skin is what's in trouble tonight. Here's the last clip. It's 14 minutes, and then we're going to wrap this show up, folks. Y'all got to hear this final. Got to hear this final. Started in the 1990s with Peggy McIntosh of white privilege. Mm-hmm. Walk us through uh, what all of this means for us today, for black for uh, black people, or uh, and I'm quoting because uh, that's not really who we are. We need to... Uh, come up with a name for ourselves. Someone said, um, "How about Americans? Ancient, ancient Egyptian Africans. I love that one. That was absolutely hot. I really, I'm going to take it. Tina Pfeiffer, I think, gave that to me. I said, like, uh, sending a shout out to Tina. But um, so, so, what does that mean now? Because you know, uh, when these conversations happen, uh, Jacqueline, uh, and the term white privilege comes up." Oh, wait a minute. Are you trying to make white people feel guilty again here? What's going on here? I'm just not having it. Talk to me about this. And we talked about white fragility, the work that Dr. Uh, Sonia D'Angelo has done uh, on how uh, white folk kind of decompose around the conversation uh, of white privilege and racism and racist race relations. Give us your piece on that about this white guilt, white privilege, and where we are now. Well, sure. Well, here's what I think is really important. I um, I am frequently accused of promoting white guilt um, <laughs> by by writing this book and by speaking about this this legal history. Um, so that's been I, your back. That's been your backlash, kind of in in a sense. Your your the, well, one of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm one sure. Might get into that. Okay. I do find it really fascinating because what I talk in the book also about the law of coverture, and you and I spoke about it um, during this interview a little bit. Now, when I talked about these laws that gave um, men legal authority, power, control, did I make all the men in your viewing audience, did I? impose white guilt on you? You know, I don't think so. Right. And so all I'm doing, I'm sharing history. I'm and I'm sharing history in a way that having read in graduate school while at Northwestern Peggy McIntosh's work, that that gave me a lens that attuned me to this thing called whiteness so that I could see it as not inevitable, natural, linked to genes. It was possible for me to see it as a construct 
And so when but I how did, it ha how did it happen for you? So I, I guess you know, uh, and, and I'm not taking defense on this, uh, 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 but when you found out um, that you were your your designation as a white woman was created, and you started looking at the history of how you were created, mm -hmm. how did it hit you? Well. You know, I have to say that in, in many ways, making the historical connection, the white privilege um, information that I, was, I had already learned something about was a, a relief because now it made sense. Okay, the, here were laws in place. And so, so now I could see these really deeply historical, virtual straight lines that lead to white privilege today. So for me, it, it helped me um, with my understanding. It also, I hope as, as I go around and talk about this, that, that when people hear this history and how, I mean, my God, we're talking the late 1600s, right? Um, I didn't do this. You didn't do this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and But we're living with the fallout. I, I'm definitely living with the fallout more than you than, than oh, that. Oh, look. So, but so, no, so, so the thing is, is that we're not trying to play, and, and it's kind of human nature. We want, we want to blame somebody. Sure. Uh, but it's also just not being heard. So one of the reasons why I love you so much is because, uh, well, you know, you, you, you listen, uh, you can hear, you understand, you've done the research and the, and, and, and the work uh, to, to, to uh, unveil why we are here. I think for for uh, black folk, uh, uh, myself particularly, is we want uh, an explanation for this. Uh, and uh, when we look at white privilege, we just see there's such a high level of, 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 of non-accountability. Hmm. Uh, but then I also say that, you know, if you don't know, maybe your book needs to be required reading for all white people because I don't, I know for a fact, most white people, most black people have no idea, have no idea. I did not. I'm pretty good. I had no idea. I think when we put it in context and I think we look at uh, uh, history and, and, and law in particular, that it, it, it maybe not, doesn't take away the, the injury uh, or the sting, but it does give us uh, maybe a little uh, rest in terms of, ah, so now I understand what, what I'm up against. Right. Now I understand why I couldn't get that job. Now I understand why I couldn't go, go to the, the school that I want, wanted to or move into the neighborhood that my parents wanted to move into. Now it's all beginning to make sense. Now, can you make a distinction between white supremacy and a racist uh, or racism, or are they one and the same? Well, one just causes the other um, and influences another. I think, I mean, I, I, I'd end the book with um, talking about the fact that academics are generally pretty comfortable talking about white privilege, but I think it's really important to name the truth, which is that, but for institutionalized white superiority, white privilege doesn't exist. It mm -hmm. absolutely depends on the prior. 
Um, I, I know we're running out of time, but I do have to uh, uh, ask you this because there's a piece in the book. Uh, you, you do a, um, uh, 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 an experiment uh, in your classroom called, uh, is, it, is it pureness or purest mm -hmm. uh, experience or, yeah. or experiment? And what I, I loved about that, and, and I think this connects with what we're, what we're talking about right now, is, uh, and, and we're talking about racial socialization and just socialization in general, the power of labels. Yes. The power of labels and the epigenetic power of labels over time, generationally, intergenerationally. Talk to us about that connection between labels uh, and, and your experiment that you do uh, with your students as we bring that, uh, uh, as we connect that, if you will, to where we are right now. Well, sure. Well, what I do in the class is I have students do a little, a little test. And I let them know that based upon their performance on this test, they'll be separated into groups. Um, and it becomes clear that, and it's a setup, right? So one group has a, a test that of course they're going to do better on um, because most of them grew up, live in, are familiar with U.S. culture, law, and society. Mm -hmm. the, other, the other group has to answer questions related to South American culture, politics, and society. Um, and so they tend to not quite do as well. So based upon the results of this test, I divide them into the pures and the not pures. And the pures are um, given privileges based upon this test performance. And, you know, at the beginning of the class, um, students don't care. They don't care whether I've called them a pure or not pure. I'm just some crazy professor who's doing <laughs> labels, right? But what, what happens is, as the label to which one has been attached, as it has concrete consequences in the course, they care and they start to complain, they'll go to um, the department chair, they'll go to the dean, and of course I have to alert people that I'm doing this in the class, you can anticipate this. Um, and, and it's this wonderful concrete example of, of how this new category called white people got asserted. Mm -hmm. um, nobody would have cared that just this new label, you know, um, who cares, white, I don't, I'm, I'm British, I'm not white. But sure. you wanted to be white after it was asserted because it came with stuff. You got that right. for it. Right. Right. You got to be American. You got to naturalize. You could buy land. You could keep land. You could. You had access. Huge benefits and major consequences. And it hasn't ended. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Right. So, so we when you look at this history, it makes it really clear that there's no like one person or even a handful of people necessarily to blame, but that the social consequences of this construct of race and the assertion of white superiority that came with it um, is, has shaped human relations in this nation um, literally from its founding. And, and I truly believe that until our K through 12 education includes a version of US history that captures um, this history, um, we don't have and we won't have the tools that we need to address the kinds of change that need to get implemented 
for example, in the Chicago Police Department, the kinds of changes that need to be implemented um, in our nation to address um, racial inequality that is pervasive. Wow. Okay. So obviously you're going to have your stake now and being on multiple shows because I have to have you back. There's just no way we can just end it here and then we just don't see each other anymore. This is enormous because this is a conversation that uh, there's, there's there's so many nuances to the conversation. I mean, we could just do Bacon's Law, just, I mean, Bacon's Rebellion, just that could be an entire show unto itself. Uh, and not to talk, not to mention that you were, you know, right there in the heart of it in Chicago, as you were telling me on the phone. Okay, and I'll wrap the show at that point, folks. Uh, hopefully y'all enjoyed this, this, this professor, Dr. Jacqueline uh, Badalora. Um, Going to take a little quick, short break, quick short break and I do mean a super super short break and um golly I'm just in the prayer. Hopefully y'all taking notes and and uh you got her name. Uh, again that's Jacqueline um Battalora. Let me spell her last name for you. B A T T A L O R A Battalora. And uh again this gentleman's name was um well, y'all heard him, Philip Matthews show. But listen, folks, listen, listen, listen. Again, there's a lot going on in our world, our country right now. There's, there's a lot of hatred going on. And, folks, we can't stick our head in the sand and say it ain't affecting me, it ain't affecting my kids, and you just kind of, you can't do that, folks. You can't do that. You can't do that. You just simply can't. When you run across people that's, you know, that's promoting white supremacy, they can be in black skin. I'm going to tell you right now. It's probably 50-50. I mean, you can't have white supremacy without having black inferiority. And we believe as a nation of black people, we buy, lock, stock, and barrel the concept of white supremacy. It's black people that's tired of black people. And, and it is for all the reasons that white people quote. I'm serious. If you see it as just white people acting out, you don't understand this show tonight. White supremacy, the philosophy. Orientals come here and they have that same germ, that same illness, that same ideology because they look at America's media. I mean, how can we be anything else but a bunch of little racists? And I'm not saying you per se. I'm not accusing nobody, but I'm saying how can we be nothing but white supremacy if that's all we talk that's why we look at Africa cockeyed. That's why we have no pride in Africa. That's why we want to run to Europe, because we're, we're raised by the concept of white supremacy. Be right back, folks. Check this out. Greetings, family. This is Darlene Douglas of the Douglas Kennedy Family and Friends Network reminding you to tune in next Tuesday for Upbeat fun feel, informative, and inspirational show. Join us, family and friends, at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on the Blog Talk Show Station 5 Smooth Stone. See you there. And she is absolutely right. Next week, next week, we'll be coming at you with the family show. But family, uh, friends, again, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to uh, Five Smooth Stones tonight. Very controversial topic. I I, I acknowledge it. But uh, if I'm a white person listening to the show tonight, I will be smiling because I know now that all this is a myth and that I truly am one with my so-called black brothers and sisters. We're one family. I'd be excited. Might be a little bit uh, angry at those uh, that raised me or 
or that those that constantly put out their lie that we are people based upon color, we need to protect our own, we need to, you know, all of the lies that you're hearing from those hate groups. And the hate groups is just the one that's getting attention. But there's a bunch of people that didn't form a hate group that feel the same way. You know, they feel like white people deserve to, to, to like they say, I've, I've, been, I've been doing research, family. They've been hollering loud and clear that we need to be able to exist. We need to have white this. We need, we need to have our own. Black people have their own. And black people need to read. I mean, we have to have black things like black newspaper, black uh, shows on TV, black this, black that, because we've been disenfranchised by white brothers and sisters. But we should not want things black. If white people act right, let me just say it this way, if white people act right, we should not be pushing for something black even. That's the best. First class is to not have to put a label on anything. The only reason white brothers and sisters, we have to, so-called white brothers and sisters, see, there I go. But the only reason why we have to label things is because we're being disenfranchised. We're not being, we have to have a black newspaper or so-called black newspaper because our so-called white brothers and sisters will not give us a fair news coverage. And when they do, they're talking really bad about us. So all I'm saying is this is why we have to name stuff black. So if everybody will love each other, then we won't have to call stuff black and white. But until they do that, we almost have to say African-American or black or some kind of way, again, creating a people based upon a color. African-American is the same thing. You call these group of people that are black a color. Who are we? We are Israel. Who are white people? Human beings. We don't know what tribe they're from. But African-Americans, and if you get some other Africans here and you don't know who they are, then they're just human beings. You can call them by their region. You can say they're Ghanans or uh, Kenyans. That's more accurate than just saying white people or black people because white people are living in India. Do you connect them with the people in Europe? Very confusing, isn't it? You see why I had this show? So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and wrap the show up. <sighs> I'm going to go ahead and wrap the show up. Again, I love every single one of you, and there is really nothing you can do about it. I mean that. Uh, again, like Darlene said, tune in next week, family. Hope we'll be interviewing another family member and uh, have an exciting show on Tuesday. But uh, uh, just go and check out YouTube and, 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 and find as much as you can on Dr. Jacqueline Battalora. Uh, she's very uh, she's she's doing her thing and she sacrificed her life to ending racism based upon color. At least we can do is go and check out her videos and, and and send them to friends and family and put on your Facebook and and just really push this whole thing of race based on region, a biblical definition of race. Because as long as we're saying white people, black people, I mean we're gonna say it. I'm probably gonna say it. I know, but. Just put the truth out there as well, because I'm telling you, unless we do, why are we going to continue, so-called white people are going to continue to fight to exist as a people, and you can't blame them. If nobody never tells them that, listen, there's no such thing as white people based upon color, then they're going to fight to preserve it. And if they fight to preserve it, then it affects your house, possibly, unless God have mercy. It affects our children. It affects our education. There's going to be this fight and scramble for control. You can't blame them. They're really supposed to be, if, if they're really white based upon a nation, can you blame them? Can you blame them for disenfranchising your people, for their people? It's just a race, just like it says, R-A-C-E. Good night, family.
and friends. See you next week, family. And no.